Hi, everybody. Andrew Bray here, son of Barbara Bray and also her sound designer. Speaking with Barbara Bray right now, uh, we've got uh, a lovely interview that you get to listen to with Barbara Bray and Michael Crawford. But before we got started, Mom, uh, I wanted to hear a little bit what your thoughts were about the special things that Michael has got going on in the near future. I'm very excited to have Michael Crawford on my podcast. I've I've known Michael for a long time, and he's uh, had so he's very innovative. He's had so many different ventures, but this latest one is Ed Space LLC. It is amazing. What I love about it is that educators can have their own channel. So I have my own channel. It's Barbara Bray T- TV. It's so cool. It's all video based with short videos under three minutes. And you can put up as many as you want. And they stay up for a week. And what's cool about it is that people can come in and respond to your channel. And then Michael surprised me and told me that I'm going to be a spotlight channel starting May 4th for a week. So yeah, I'm really excited about um, our conversation and continuing learning more about Michael. Uh, First off, I'd be a terrible son if I didn't remind everybody out there that uh, you wrote this amazing book and um, people could find that by going to your website, uh, barbarabray.net. And I highly recommend for everybody out there to consider looking at the book to find your why. You've expressed... Uh, your enthusiasm about Michael. What is it about Michael and his 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 contributions to the community? Do you like so much? Well, I find that um, one of the things that I've known Michael through many of his endeavors and over many years. And what's exciting is that he's always innovative, and he he's a real good connector. And he says to me, you know, Barbara, you're a real innovator and a connector. So I guess we we have like, we're like-minded. Um, and what I'm finding is that maybe we push each other. And that's what you need, uh, especially during this crisis. You need people that help keep you going. And he does that for me. That's really cool. Well, folks, stay tuned for a conversation between these two pushers, Barbara Bray <laughs> and Michael Crawford. <laughs> Now, I'm really lucky. I have someone here I've been talking to for, I don't know how many years, really. It's been a few. (laughs) Been a few. This is Dr. Michael Crawford. I'm going to call you Michael. Is that okay? Perfect. (laughs) Uh, Mike, I'm so glad you're here. This this is going to be fun. I agree. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad. uh, I'm glad to finally get to know you. You know, I know a little more great. about your life and I have everything. known of, of the Barbara Bray for a while, but this is, um, and we've had a handful of conversations, but yeah, glad to be here. Glad to, uh, to talk more in depth and let's do it. Well, let me tell a little bit about you. Go for it. I've got to boast a little bit. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say it again. Dr. Michael Crawford, the co-founder of Edspace LLC. And uh, wait a minute, let me just tell a little bit about that too. It's a social learning network for the world of education. At Edspace, he's the lead on product development, strategy, and community engagement. I I think I knew you way before that though, um, when you were working with real world scholars and maybe even before that, right? That's it. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we, uh, 
we have, I'm sure, crossed paths at South by Southwest or some other conference. Uh, I, I do have this faint memory of not meeting you in person, but of seeing you at a party or at a, an event and saying, wait a minute, I think that's Barbara Bray. But I didn't know you at the time. And so uh, it's been a long time coming. Well, I'm feeling kind of like, you know, some superstar or something, but I'm really, not. I'm glad oh. we got to know each other. Uh, this is great. I'm looking forward to our conversation. This is, yeah. like so I always like everyone to tell me a little bit about, you know, your background. Sure, sure, sure. So I uh, was born in Metro Detroit. I uh, currently live in the city that I uh, was born and raised in. Um, I grew up in uh, a suburb, um, went to school, played sports, uh, and had generally a, a great time in school when I was younger, uh, or at least I thought so at the time. I didn't have to, to try particularly hard, didn't study too hard, and got uh, mostly good grades until I went to college and learned what studying was the hard way and thought I was uh, probably smarter than I was and took a, an econ class because I wanted to head into business of some kind, took an econ class uh, my first semester, which they advised against. And uh, that class set me back a bit, uh, taught me a bunch about myself and uh, it certainly made it the case that I had to uh, focus a little bit more so on my studies than I ever have before. Uh, and so from school, went and worked um, in uh, an organization called the Michigan State Youth Soccer Association, kind of a youth sports organization in Michigan. Uh, worked there for a while, got, you know, saw coaching and parents uh, engaging with young people in a way that sort of struck me, uh, which moved me right along to needing to know more and wanting to understand how it was that adults in the sport context could both help and harm young people. And so I hmm. uh, pursued a master's degree in sports psychology and kind of recognized from there that sports was just one way that hmm. young people. Uh, I got to ask a question. Yeah. I never knew there was a course in sports psychology. Oh, there I mean, are, you, there are you, many. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I didn't completely know it myself uh, until I started exploring. Um, sports psychology is a a field that can go in a number of different directions. My interest at the time, right out of undergrad, I wanted to, uh, I had this kind of sport background. I played sports all my life uh, and recognized the value and power of teams, certainly understood about or, or knew that things like motivation and perseverance, physical fitness, mental health, these things are all kind of tied together. And so out of undergrad, I applied to a bunch of five PsyD programs focused on organizational psychology. I thought, okay, I have a sport background. I'm interested in teams. If I can take my, if I can learn more about sort of team psychology and apply it in a business context, you know, there are com companies, organizations, corporations all over the place that would benefit from improved team dynamics. Fortunately, unfortunately at the time, didn't get into any of those programs. And so, uh, but I was still interested in sports, still trying to understand, you know, how sports contribute to development, to young people, to learning, uh, to society. And so that kind of kept me on, this, on the sport path. And um, at Michigan State University, which is where I got my master's in sports psychology, they have a great program, a great uh, organization there called the Institute for the Study of Youth Sports. Mm -hmm. And so they did a lot of research uh, on youth sports, on coaching, on parent education. Uh, and so 
being from Michigan. Uh, I did attend the University of Michigan for undergrad, and so there was a bit of a rivalry situation uh, there, but I, I made it through. I kind of, you know, plugged my nose for a little bit. Michigan State's a great place. Uh, but um, yeah, went there and uh, really tried to understand what is it about that, that sport context that can contribute to young people. Uh, and so that was my experience there. Isn't that interesting? I, I'm going to have to do some more research on sports psychology because now, you know, in schools, and we're going to talk more about this in, in, mm-hmm. a little bit later, but um, they're trying to gamification, you know, and talking sure. about working in teams and doing collaboration, mm-hmm. even global collaboration. And you see these esports. Mm-hmm. There's so much now yeah. that I'm just curious what sure. pieces of, that yeah. you learned. So we're going to yeah. keep that. We're going to okay. talk about a, that a little later. Put a in that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from my sports psychology master's, recognized, learned, and sort of obviously that sports is just one context where mm-hmm. young people have developmental opportunities, developmental experiences to grow and learn and, and become the adults uh, that they're they're headed to becoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there are plenty of others. There's theater, there's service learning, there are there's the academic context. And so... From that point, I said, okay, I need to kind of zoom out, zoom up and say, well, I need a broader understanding of, my interest was adolescence. Um, I saw them as the sort of the jump off point between childhood and adulthood. And, and if I could intervene, if I could make a difference among teens, then I could affect, you know, positively affect the trajectory of their world. And so I thought, okay, mm. sports is one context. I'm interested in adolescence. I need to zoom up. I need to understand adolescent development more generally. Uh, and that's what led me to uh, the University of Kansas for a PhD in educational psychology. Uh, there is a great researcher there named Dave Hansen, Dr. Dave Hansen, who um, has done tons of work in positive youth development, adolescent research, adolescent uh, neuroscience, after school programs. And so uh, he was there. I applied. I said, Dave, you're my guy. Our interests align like crazy. Uh, and I would love to come work with you, study under you, uh, and make that happen. And so fortunately, uh, unlike the PsyD programs I didn't get into, I did get into this program. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that we're there, you know, studying again, adolescent development, research methods, uh, just exploring, uh, learning in school in a different kind of way. My undergrad degree was in psychology. I didn't have, um, any education uh, sort of training or background. Uh, I'm not a licensed you know, K-12 educator. Um, and so while at KU, got a great um, kind of breadth and depth of the history of childhood and education policy and assessment and you know, all the kinds of things that are certainly relevant and have been relevant for a long time, uh, I got you know, a taste of those while there. So that was great. There's a I can't remember if this professor's at Kansas State or you, KU is uh, Michael Wesh. Have you? He's at K- he's at K State. He's oh, awesome. I love that. Oh, he's so cool. I know he he actually I think he came and gave a, a lecture at KU one time, and I hadn't heard of him. And he he came and he talked about he he does this like. I don't know how to describe his work. Anthropology. How would you describe it? Yeah. Well, he, educational he, he, anthrop- I don't know what it is. How would well, you describe he's, it? He, well, his latest one is Anthropology 101, but he took it, takes it so much deeper, but he talks about curiosity and what, I mean, he, 
I use a lot of his resources because I think he's amazing. Uh, yeah. 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 He, there, he did, there was a, he had a podcast for just a little bit where it was almost like a, um, like a, a story that he was telling essentially. Uh-huh. And, um, and yeah, he, he, I think it's just so fascinating. As he had a, a, a YouTube video that went crazy viral. Oh, about um, his, his son, George. <laughs> yeah. That I think one. it was, it was either that one or the, the, I think the one that I saw was about, um, essentially college teaching and what it means to be a college learner and what it means to be a, a modern learner, a learner in, you know, the 21st century. And oh, that's uh, right up your alley. It was, yeah, it was yeah. really interesting. So I, I am definitely a fan of his, uh, but no, he was at K-State in Manhattan, Kansas, which is a different school. Oh, <laughs> but it seems like, can I just go kind of revert back to, because I always like the background about how you grew up. I mean, yeah. were your parents, uh, did they kind of influence you at all or? They did. So both of my parents uh, were public school educators. They're both retired now. Uh, my mom was a, a PE teacher, an elementary PE teacher. And my dad was a high school math teacher. Uh, and both of them were coaches. And so I grew up in a uh, in a home with teachers and coaches uh, all around. So I was very versed in the grammar of schooling, should we say, mm-hmm. uh, which on the one hand was beneficial and helpful. I, you know, again, as I said, my K-12 experience was, was relatively smooth. Uh, and, and, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to exert a ton of energy and I didn't, you know, I didn't ask a lot of questions about the system and about why we're learning this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just kind of did what I was told. And on the one hand, at that time, that was fine for me. It means I could, you know, I could jump out of AP US history and go play dodgeball because it was, I could do that. Um, but on the other, on the other hand, it meant that I just, I, I just sort of was on a track. I was, you know, on a train and I headed to mm. the higher ed because that's what you were supposed to do. And so there's been a lot of reflecting, uh, since my primary, secondary university schooling experience that, you know, just makes me wonder about what school is, what it can be, how it influences young people. I mean, it, you know, there's a lot of conversations always about what is being taught, what the particular curriculum is. Uh, and I, those things are valuable and important, but I think what too often doesn't get talked about uh, or doesn't get talked about enough is uh, the, you know, the hidden curricula. What are, what are young people learning when mm. everything is provided to them or when you know, they show up and there are worksheets or when the particular projects are already outlined for them? What are they learning? And conversely, what are they not learning? Uh, and then what are the impacts of those things down the line throughout their life as adults? And so those are the kinds of questions that I'm interested in and asking now that, you know, when I was younger, uh, I, I was just, you know, oblivious. But having a family of educators and and also sports, since you said you were active in sports, was there any mm-hmm. particular sport that you were doing when you were? Uh, I played soccer mostly and baseball. Um, I played in high school. I played a sport for all twelve available seasons. Um, I played soccer and baseball were my my go tos. I played you know travel soccer mm-hmm. and travel baseball. Uh, I my mm-hmm. I, I my wife played soccer at Michigan State, and so oftentimes I would go to, uh, you know, parties with her and, and they would have parties with the baseball team and the soccer team. And so they would meet me who didn't go there and, and they would say like, Oh, do you, you know, what sport do you play essentially? And I would say, Oh, well, 
you know, I played intramural soccer, uh, won some intramural championships. That was always my joke. So I was good, but not that kind of good. So did you meet your wife in school or? I did. She was two years uh, behind me. Uh, so I knew who she was because she was probably the best soccer player in the city for a while. Uh, and so I had known her name. We didn't play in the same soccer club, but my I have two siblings, two younger siblings. They played in the same club that she did. Uh, and so I knew who she was. And then when she got to high school, I mean, she, as a freshman, was the best player on the varsity team mm. pretty much right away. And so, um, and yeah, so we connected in high school and then didn't really date in high school, but then in college started dating and we've been together ever since. Oh, what's her name? <laughs> yeah. uh, her name's Maureen. Oh, that's, and you have two children? I have two little guys. Yeah. So I have uh, Lars who is in kindergarten at the same school that my wife attended, which is kind of really? funny. Uh, wow. yep. And then I have uh, a nine month old named Lennox. Um, so two <gasps> sons. Oh, well, congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Is, is Lars, is Lars a good big brother? He, he is a surprisingly good big brother. I am the big brother to my brother and my sister and I, am not nearly as kind and thoughtful and loving as he is to Lennox. And so he has been amazing. Uh, he has been just so helpful and kind. And when, when Lennox, mm. you know, knocks down his blocks or his magnetiles or whatever he's building, he, he kind of plays with them a little bit and he's just oh. yeah, really sweet to him. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. Really uh, lucky. And the names, are they family names or? They aren't. So what's funny about Lars is we, uh, when we were thinking of names, we, for Lars, we were kind of cycling through, you know, there's all, there's apps now, there's books and you can kind of go through mm-hmm. a bunch of names. So we wanted a name that was both uh, unique, but not, we'll say like unique enough uh, or not like too unique, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I was at one point just kind of riffing on some names that we thought were funny. Uh, and I said Lars and both of us just sort of laughed. Uh, Maureen had a soccer coach named Lars. Uh, and so we were like, oh, that's funny. And then probably, I don't know, the next day, both of us were kind of like, you know what, Lars, it's not terrible. Like, I, you know, the only Lars reference we had were two people, one, the soccer coach, uh, Lars Richters, shout out to him. Uh, and two, um, Lars Ulrich, I think from Metallica, which I'm not necessarily a huge Metallica fan or I, I am. dislike them. Yeah. So let you um, know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but, and so that name, you know, it just, it didn't sort of rub us either way. And so we we're like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And we let it kind of marinate for a little while. And then we're like, you know, I, there's no other name that we like um, that can, you know, that sort of overtakes it. And then Lennox, I have liked that name for a while. Uh, I only know I think Lennox Lewis, who's a boxer, and Annie Lennox, who is a musician. Yeah. And other, and there's, you know, the, I think you're, my furnace is Lennox too, or air conditioners or something, but oh. <laughs> um, I, I think it is. Um, but we, yeah, so that name I have liked. Oh, and funny. as we, as he got closer to being born, it was between Lennox mm. and a couple other names. And we sort of like, you know, wrote them all out in different combinations. Uh, and then ultimately, I think my wife caved a little. Maureen didn't totally love the name, but I think now she likes it. <laughs> well, it's unique and it, it was Lars and Lennox. They work together. They're great. Right. And we're Michael and Maureen. And so it was absolutely unintentional. And uh, like, I I don't totally love that we're M's and L's, (laughs) but 
That's okay. Uh, this is, it's fun because I always, uh, we're more than just us. Mm-hmm. And it is nice because when you said that uh, Lars is kind, he learned that from someone yeah. and you're both your, you know, his parents probably model yeah. that. So like your parents modeled a lot for you. Mm-hmm. For sure. So you said, I'm just want to bring back why you're so passionate about learning mm-hmm. how people think. Mm-hmm. So is that why you went for a PhD? Did you? It, it is. I mean, I, I, I went, for a PhD for, I think, a few reasons. I didn't, my ultimate goal is not and wasn't then to be a faculty member. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be in the ivory tower. I didn't want to just, you know, do research uh, and write articles that nobody is going to see. That was my understanding of, of what it meant to be a faculty member at the time. It's changed a bit since then, but that was mm-hmm. my thinking then. But what I wanted was, uh, I think two things mainly. One, I wanted more knowledge. Like I didn't think that where I was uh, at the time was uh, that I had enough, that I, that I knew enough um, to be able to do whatever kind of work I wanted to do. I didn't know exactly where the path was going to was going to lead, but I knew that I needed to learn more. Like I I just felt, you know, I watched too many Ted talks to know where I was and know that there is so much more to learn and so many more things to understand. And so that was reason number one. And and reason number two, um, in a slightly different direction was I felt like if, if I had something worthwhile to say, and I said it as Michael Crawford, then some people would hear it, listen to it, and it would be fine. But if I said something as Dr. Michael Crawford or Michael Crawford PhD, then just for a moment, there are some other people who might listen in for a second. It would give my idea or my argument or what I was putting forward an extra moment to be latched onto. And so mm-hmm. um, it was kind of those two things, this, this drive to just understand more, learn more, know more, improve my skills. You know, I learned uh, one thing that I didn't totally under- expect is the uh, the ability to connect with more people you know being in being in school or being in a PhD program at least my experience it uh, it gave me the opportunity to go to conferences to connect with others around the work that I was interested in and uh, and so my my network and my the, the sort of social aspect of professionalism it might it, it shifted my my thinking um, while in that program so that was something that I didn't totally expect hmm. um, but Again, those two reasons, knowing more and just having, you know, sort of the, the foot in the door for a second for people to actually consider what I had to say. Um, those are the two things. That's pretty good. Well, it's credibility. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But you learn. So because you talked about um, you started with sports psychology, but mainly it ended mm-hmm. up because you wanted to learn how people think, make decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what else? I mean, when you came out of the program, what was the big aha? Yeah. I mean, I think I got into studying adolescent development and after school programs and the sort of non-school learning environments. That that was where I was very interested. So, you know, young people go to school for a long time. They spend a good chunk of their day there. And, mm-hmm. and also uh, they spend a lot of time outside of school buildings, outside of formal academic context. And so that's what I, I mm. went to KU to study um, and to better understand. I think 
one of the ahas that I, I didn't, maybe I had a sense of this, but I didn't totally know is that, uh, that young people that adolescents in particular are much more capable than adults generally give them credit for that systems and structures that are designed to support them are designed to support sort of other creatures, if you will, like adolescents are much more, uh, much closer to being young adults than they are to being old children. And yet the structures and the programs and the resources that we provide for them as adults that we provide to them uh, don't align with the kinds of needs and desires and wants and, um, and sort of critical experiences that they need. Uh, we, you know, we, they, I was talking to somebody on Twitter, actually, I think Dr. John Mehta from Harvard um, tweeted something the other day and I, I responded uh, with, um, the, are you familiar with the, what do they call it? I think it's something about it's something with a cliff. Essentially, Gallup did research on oh, Cliff Strengths. No, no, no the, not that one. Not not StrengthsFinder, but and not Jim Clifton. But there's like a they call it the Cliff. I, I I'm messing up the name. I'll find it and then we'll put a link on, on it. Yeah, Perfect. let's find it. But anyway, basically, mm-hmm. what it is is it's an inverse relationship between student engagement and years in school. So mm-hmm. the longer young people are in school the less engaged they report being. That was the Gallup poll that Correct. came yeah, the, But they used the Clifton strengths. Well, they used about, it, no, not Clifton, but they call, I thought they call it like the engagement cliff is what I was Well, saying. they did, but I actually put that in my book. Oh, <laughs> the one nice. that you're okay. talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, because it is the longer they're in school, mm-hmm. because it builds in compliance. You don't even want to try any harder, you know? It's, yeah, or I think uh, there's. I think there's a few different, takes on it. But my, mm-hmm. what, what I think I learned from my, one of the things I learned from my program connects to this, which is one way to look at that is that students are, you know, they're sort of getting bored over time. They're, they're disengaging. They're not seeing mm-hmm. value in it. Um, and the way that I understand it is that uh, the environments that we are providing them mm-hmm. for different age groups are progressively getting more and more essentially inappropriate. Right. Mm-hmm. So with young kids, they are plugged in like, you know, my, I, Lars is in kindergarten. He cuts stuff out. He colors it. He pastes it where it goes. He's learning how to read. He's learning how to write. Like every day that dude is plugged in to the work that's happening. But over time, you know, the, the fifth grader or the third grader and the sixth grader and the ninth grader and the 12th grader, the kinds of things that the school provides to them are getting progressively less and less aligned with their developmental needs, with their goals, with their aspirations. And so it's no surprise. I am not surprised that that's the case, uh, that that engagement is, you know, sort of shows over time to go down with years of schooling. Um, and so circling back to your question, the big aha for me was that we are doing a disservice generally to young people. Um, I mean, you start, you're starting to see, and and it's been happening for a while, but it's beginning to grow, I think, uh, more around student voice, student agency, uh, young people being, being able to build and design their own projects, their own perspectives. sort of performances or exhibitions of the things that they're learning. This is happening more and more, which I think is a good thing. It's in the right direction because when young people don't have the ability to do those things, when they can't exercise their voice, when they can't make, begin to make choices for what they're interested in, what they want to learn, where they want to go, 
you can almost imagine that the muscles required to do those things begin to atrophy or, or mm-hmm. they begin to not actually develop appropriately. And then all of a sudden they're 18, they leave high school or they're 22, they leave college and it's, you're just sort of on your own. And so um, without muscles that can allow you to navigate increasingly challenging context. And so again, that was a major learning for me. And I think that's something that is all, is top of mind often for me when I read education articles or discover a new program or talk to somebody, you know, what are the ways in which we are empowering, supporting, engaging young people in their own creation of their self, in their own creation of their future, their environment, those kinds of things. You know, you're talking my language. Oops. <laughs> I'm hitting the microphone. Speaking right I, to you. Sorry. Yeah. But it, the, the issue is the way, how do you change school? Mm-hmm. So it, the learning environments really encourage whatever age, because I think it starts in fourth grade where they start losing some of the, you know, some of this engagement, mainly because mm-hmm. we're, we're still preparing them for tests. We're still looking yeah. at standards and looking at subject specific and age related and mm-hmm. grade, you know, because we're not all, we, not all fifth graders fit in fifth grade, everything. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's totally. so, it, so I've been, you know, I mean, is that kind of like the, the idea is looking at a more competency-based approach and I, I skills-based and... I think that's a, I think that is a, I think it's a direction. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there are competencies and skills and, you know, what uh, my friend and uh, former colleague at the Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative, Gary Schoeniger, would say are the attitudes, behaviors, and skills that we hope young people uh, and, you know, adults, mm-hmm. frankly, begin to, to develop and, and leverage to their, um, to their own and, and their, you know, group's needs. Um, and I think, so yeah, I think that is, that's more in the direction, uh, I think, of where we're going. I mean, I tend to try to learn from and figure out how to translate from uh, more uh, kind of radical um, schooling experiences. So, you know, Sudbury Valley, uh, yeah. Sudbury Academy, democratic schools, unschooling, not necessarily saying we should do, you know, we should just shut the lights on the existing school system and do a full wholesale jump over to that kind of model. But what are the benefits of those kinds of experiences? My interest initially in after school programs and non-school learning environments is pre- precisely for that. There's research, mm-hmm. Dave Hansen, Reed Larson, a handful of others scholars in this space have shown, uh, which is that uh, in school, the kinds of developmental experiences that young people have as, as they relate to giving feedback, leadership opportunities, collaborating with mixed race or mixed gender peers, um, uh, communication, a a wide range of developmental experiences. When you look across different contexts, school tends to report score low on Mm -hmm. almost all of those. What score higher on, on many of those measures are uh, out of school time programs. So service learning, sports, theater, dance, uh, faith-based groups, things like that. And Mm -hmm. to some extent, non-structured, more kind of leisure time. So when young people have the opportunity to just go home and, you know, little kids maybe go home and play with Legos or older kids can go home and, you know, work on project or, you know, build a website. Those kinds of things also allow for young people to develop 
the attitudes, behaviors, and skills that will help them be more successful as adults, school less so. But see, that's, I, I agree with you, but the issue is we have a lot of uh, children that don't have opportunities like what you're you know, mentioning. They, the, the one place where they're, either they see that is, I'm going to say a safe place, a place where they can uh, feel mm-hmm. like this is where I'm going to learn is school. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I know Sudbury, I've done a lot of st- studies on st- Sudbury and other schools that are uh, Reggio and some others, you know, that, yeah. are, that are, are looking at ways to encourage um, their own paths and students mm-hmm. to have a voice in everything, which I, I really like is that. Yeah. So, so do you see, I'm just trying to figure out how we can either bring in more of this approach that's in the after-school programs or internships mm-hmm. or apprenticeships or things like that mm-hmm. you can start even earlier into school, every school. I mean, is there a way? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we're seeing it. I mean, even – so there's a number of organizations and initiatives, programs that aim to do this. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just kind of from my own experience, you know, Real World Scholars is one of them. A uh, nonprofit based in San Diego for the last six-plus years have been helping classrooms to start and run businesses. And so, you know, not to turn mm-hmm. every young person into – an entrepreneur, uh, but to immerse them in the entrepreneurial process, which helps them uh, develop some of those attitudes, behaviors, and skills, but also allows them to, to pick and choose and decide the work that is interesting to them, allows them to get outside the school walls and begin to engage with broader community folks as either partners, as customers, as experts they can leverage. So, you know, Real World Scholars is an example. Uh, and there are, you know, that's a a sort of a bigger kind of program and initiative, but even in smaller ways, you know, Lars, my son just finished a project-based learning unit where they went to an architecture firm and their task was to uh, essentially redesign their elementary school. And so the whole, every student in this, in the class was part of a team. They went and talked to architects. Uh, they did some kind of learning on shapes and things like that. And they put together their own, design each each of those six groups i think put together their own design for the school and then they presented their design to some of the architects came in to high school students that came in to some parents and to their colleagues and then ultimately one design was selected and it you know they're going to use a 3d printer to print it and so that's just a small example of wait a minute (laughs) he's in kindergarten right he, yeah, that is so, this, so cool. That yeah, is so it, it was cool. But again, this was so it, it is a this particular ex- example is a grant that uh, my son's teacher and another teacher there applied for and got that made that kind of experience possible. So it isn't, you know, it, it, in this case, it was a grant funded you know, a couple week long experience. But that doesn't mean that it can't be woven into the the school more generally right we know oh, big yeah. picture learning right so big picture learning schools for example are you I know 70 plus schools worldwide i think maybe mm-hmm. even more um you know and part of it is leaving to learn getting outside of the building that's elliot that's i it. love yeah. elliot i'm elliot, trying Carlos, we've been talking and all those guys dennis yeah Dennis yeah, they're great. great. Yeah. yeah, right. So there are there are these examples, um, and slowly but surely, I think they are making mm-hmm. their way more into you know the mainstream discussion. More and more teachers are 
jumping into Twitter or jumping on EdSpace, for example, uh, to be able to find, too. yeah, we can talk about that, to, to find others, to, to get inspiration and ideas and say, wait a minute, I don't, I'm just learning about project-based learning. What does that look like? Or how do I get my students internships? And so, you know, beginning to kind of lift their head up and look around, find these examples, bring them to their own space and context and make them their own. Well, I love that idea of the ed space because you were, you know, you shared it with me and I joined it and I haven't had a chance to really grow with it yet, but yeah, it's yeah. still new. I mean, it, it's where educators, is it just for educators or can it be for other yeah. people developing programs and stuff like that? Also? Yeah. So anybody in and around education, I mean, so one okay. of the, 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 it emerged from our work at Real World Scholars. Um, we were working with uh, hundreds of teachers across the country, and some of whom would communicate to us that they were frustrated with teaching, they were burning out, they were disengaged, they, you know, they <clears throat> saw this maybe as their last, their last year teaching, and mm-hmm. that was, you know, crushing for us. And so we, um, you know, they, they were part of our, our program, they were doing the work, and over time, by connecting with other teachers who were part of the program, their perspectives and their vision for themselves began to change. So teachers who were on the cusp of burnout were now more excited than ever to get back to school for next year, even though this year hadn't ended, because they had found some people that they could lean on when they were struggling or they could turn to for inspiration and ideas and feedback. And so we thought, well, wait a minute, we're working with a couple hundred teachers around the country. Uh, Is this a a broader phenomenon? Is there something, Mm -hmm. essentially we asked two questions. One is, are teachers generally, or are, are a lot of teachers in this country and worldwide frustrated, burnt out, disengaged? And the answer to that, according to the research, is yes, almost half leave by year five. The vast majority of them report being disengaged, et cetera. So that was a bigger problem that we learned. And then two, where are they going? How, to what are they turning to get the kind of help and support, inspiration, ideas that they need? And the answer to that is there isn't really there isn't a great place. Some go to Twitter, but only a slice of teachers in this country, at least use Twitter. Some are on Facebook, but mostly for personal reasons, not necessarily for professional. Some get to go to conferences, but conferences are expensive and, and many teachers don't get to go. And so if you're frustrated and you're burnt out and you're not on the existing social platforms, you're, you're, it's a, it's a, it's already a really challenging job to do the work day in and day out. It's especially challenging when you feel unsupported or when the PD that you're getting isn't meeting your needs, just really tough. And so we took that and said, we want to do something about it. Fast forward about two years of development of conversation, hundreds of conversations with people all over the place. Um, And we are now at EdSpace, which is a social learning network for the world of education. It is for teachers first and foremost, uh, and also principals, district leaders, uh, authors, people who work in nonprofits in and around mm-hmm. education. Uh, it is kind of a cross between Slack and Snapchat. So it has <laughs> it's like Slack and that there are channels dedicated to things teachers care about. So inquiry and classroom management and parent engagement and culturally responsive teaching, things like that. And then it's like Snapchat in that it is video-based. So these are short video clips shot from your phone or your computer um, that disappear a week after their last interaction. So the idea is you jump onto EdSpace, you have a question, you go to the PBL channel and you ask your question there. And other people who are interested in PBL also visit that channel, they see your question, they interact, they engage with you. Um, and what, what separates it from other 
platforms is uh, mainly that it's about people. It's about relationships and about connection. A lot of other platforms are text-based. You don't necessarily get to see the person. You don't hear their mm-hmm. voice. You know, you can go to you can Google, uh, you know, resources or lesson plans, but you often don't interact or get to know the person behind those resources or lesson plans. And so what we're trying to do is create the kind of environment where people, relationships, connections are what ultimately uh, prevail. Cause we know, you know, I don't, I, the research says, and I think we can say safely that, you know, it, it is all about the re- relationships. It's all about the people. It's about what we're doing right now, Barbara. Yes. And I love this because uh, I joined, but I haven't really built out mine because I, I'm going to, because I'm an author. So you did tell me, yeah. come on in. And that's uh, well, let's put, let's put um, some information on the blog post that goes with, you know, the podcast, sure. because I think, you know, after they hear this, people are going to want to know more because it's, um, it is pretty amazing. I, I went in there and I went, oh my, oh my, I <laughs> well, have thanks. to, yeah. yeah, it's really good. It's great. Okay. Yeah, we just we launched uh, officially in partnership with the folks at We Are Teachers on February 11th, and mm. so um, yeah, we're brand brand spanking new. Uh, but we have yeah, there are channels for you know the books that people love. So your books are in there, uh, and other books that teachers you know the, the Katie Martins and the Matt Millers and all you know folks that yeah. um, that people appreciate their books are all in there. And so when you read those books. Uh, you can jump into those channels and say, hey, Barbara, I, I just read this passage. What, can you tell me more about it? Right? And you can respond or ah. other, people who, other people who have read the book can jump in and share their thoughts. And so it creates this, mm. this kind of water cooler effect where people who are interested in things can come together to talk about them and meet one another. Oh, I might do a book study. There Maybe that's go. a good idea. It, absolutely. Oh, I wish we had more time. Gosh, I could I go on and on with this has been amazing. I didn't know all these things about you. Yeah. Just the tip of the iceberg here, Barbara. Just oh. But no, oh. we, we can do a round two. Or I'll, 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 I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk further. But yeah, thanks again for, uh, for inviting me here. Oh, this has been wonderful. You have, you have, well, like I said, we're going to put a blog post together. And we're going to put pictures, links, and that way people can find out more about you. And uh, yeah, we'll probably have to get you back. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Same to you. I'll see you soon. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Michael Crawford. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with the podcast about Michael. And that is on my Rethinking Learning website, plus where there are resources and more about EdSpace. You can subscribe to my website that is at barbabray.net to receive announcements, updates, new podcasts and posts, and information with a book guide about my book, Define Your Why. I'll also be sharing updates and resources to help people during the COVID crisis. Now we need each other more than ever, and our stories matter. So keep sharing your story, and please stay safe. It's been challenging being a in the gig economy because there aren't as many um, backups and safety nets for people who are gigging. However, the benefit that I have is I'm scrappy and I've always been scrappy. And so this difficult situation, while it is 
devastating and terrifying, I've also flexed these muscles before. Um, right now, that means that I'm leaning into my my beekeeping hobby and capturing bee swarms and finding ways to finding ways to inspire other folks who want to get into a a healthy new hobby right now. So that's what I've been doing. Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, you know, I've been scrappy all along, right? <laughs> you, I mean, you say that, I'm like, well, that's, I, 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 I realize like, I, I probably shouldn't take too much credit for a lot of the things that I've just kind of gleaned. I've just taken from you either, you know, <laughs> nature versus nurture, one of those or the other. Well, that <laughs> is so funny. But now yeah. I was really afraid of bees until I saw you and you had me in a bee suit and you had me holding them and yeah, yeah and everything. But um, I just have to tell you because of this, I don't know what it is. My bee, the bees in my yard are going crazy right now. So I'm, how I'm handling this crisis is going out in my yard and gardening and just enjoying nature. And I think that's what all of us have to do is take those moments because who knows, you know, how um, it might start raining. It might, you never know what might happen. So you got to enjoy every single moment. Well, actually, let me just ask you this: Like, what are you, what are you planting? What are you, what are you tilling in your garden right now? Well, your father <laughs> has planted every kind of vegetable. Uh, we we are we are now cultivating our celery. <laughs> I never knew we could grow celery? it. Okay. Celery, okay. Celery, who knows? Yeah. But we our it. tomatoes and all the vegetables are just beets. Everything is starting to come up, but the flowers. Right today, all of a sudden, all the roses are just going to mm. pop out. It is going mm. to be really nice and warm. So I'm going to be taking pictures and sharing those online. Oh, I'm so glad. Hey, it's good talking with you, Mom. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Always. You know that. Yeah. Scrappy yeah, son. too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>